We're going to start with a conversation with Anirudh Damani of Artha Venture Fund in India. Welcome, Anirudh. Great to see you. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. And amazing work on 591 episodes. This is, I mean, that's some true uh, perseverance to get there. Yes, indeed. So let's, uh, let's get you acquainted with the audience. Tell us a bit about uh, Artha, your background, however you want to uh, introduce the work that you are doing. Uh, no, thank you so much and uh, for, for letting me share some of my thoughts about uh, venture building and, and obviously venture investing. Uh, I have had uh, a very interesting journey to becoming a venture capitalist. I uh, started out as a door-to-door salesman in a small town called Midland uh, and right next to a town called Odessa in, in West Texas. Uh, my first seven months at the job, I uh, knocked, on, knocked on 100 doors a day. Uh, and I was responsible for selling long-term energy power contracts to homeowners in West Texas. After mm-hmm. seven months, I was asked tasked to set up a commercial energy team, and I think that uh, pr- pretty much uh, was my initiation to business for the first time. So within five years, I was managing close to 500 people uh, in sales, uh, door-to-door commercial sales across the U.S., and I turned entrepreneur towards the end of 2009 uh, when, the, when the business I was working in uh, got strapped for cash during the Great Recession. I uh, ran the business for three years with a couple of friends uh, who were also my partners. Um, and then I sold that uh, my portion of the business in 2012, moved back to India uh, with the sole intent of creating something in, in infrastructure in, within India. Uh, however, however, when I got to India, it was a very different world than what you see as India today. Uh, so I had a very tough time getting started in, in India. And, you know, the best, uh, they say the best uh, ventures are built out of a personal pain point. And I started investing in startups because my pain point was how to do business in India. Uh, so over the course of the next uh, eight years, I built out a portfolio of almost 70 startups. Many of them have become household names in India and globally. Uh, and then we set up this uh, venture capital fund in 2019. It, at the time, it was India's first micro VC fund, uh, and you know we ended up we w- went out to raise actually 15 million. We ended up raising 33 million, uh, and mm-hmm. now that journey uh, is becoming much larger. We're about to launch our second fund, uh, which will be probably double the size of the last one to continue investing in the winners of the first portfolio. Uh, so it's been a great journey. Like I said, it's, we've had uh, fantastic stories, and I'm sure I'll, I'll get a chance to share some of them uh, today. Absolutely. And uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to sharing uh, with uh, the one on one million group. So let's uh, talk about a bit of the fund positioning. What uh, do you like to invest in? Is it B two B, B two C, both? Um, you know, what's what's your sweet spot? So usually, uh, I don't look at uh, investing in sectors where we invest. So uh, when we're looking at it as a venture fund, uh, we are currently investing in three specific themes, and we are towards the end of that uh, uh, theme right now. Uh, so what the three themes we were investing in was direct-to-consumer, which uh, in India has taken off in a big way. Uh, the second theme, uh, which was a 30% allocation for the last four years, is direct-to-consumer enablers. And uh, the fourth theme has been B2B SaaS. And, and B2B SaaS has been a feature of my last 10 years. Uh, if you look at the over 107 startups where we are invested, probably 40% of the portfolio has been B2B SaaS. 
Uh, now, uh, you know, we usually come into a company at uh, what I would call seed plus, like a late seed kind of a stage. And we uh, invest anywhere between 200,000 to 600,000 uh, in an early uh, seed or a late seed round. And But we have allocations to double down on the same companies all the way up to series A. 70% of mm-hmm. our fund has been allocated for follow-on investing. And uh, that, mm-hmm. that feature has really helped us, you know, maximize... Uh, our position and our investment into uh, firms that are doing very well and startups that are doing very well. And then the founders also have uh, a lot of security uh, knowing that they don't have to keep going out to market uh, to raise further funds as long as the metrics and as long as things are going well, you know, they have an investor who can probably go on to invest $3 million across three rounds uh, into, into, their, into their company. Let's uh, double click down a little bit on the stage. So, Follow on, I understand, but when you write your first check into a deal, what do you want to see by way of metrics? Uh, so it's a late seed, which means you are asking to see metrics, and what are those metrics in B2C? What are those metrics in B2B SaaS? So usually we want to see at least about $10,000 a month in, in, in revenues, uh, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we want to see a build-out of the team, we want to see a product that is beyond the MVP stage, obviously, because we're looking uh, at, at actual sales. And the sales, you know, one of the things we also look at qualitatively is what is the kind of sales you're getting? Because, you know, you start the business with a thought thought process that I'm going to, you know, cater to a certain class of customer in a certain geography or, or in a certain, uh, you know, uh, uh, hierarchy, right? Uh, however, what, uh, what the sales data tells you, right, it, it tells you exactly who your customers are. So we want we want that kind of validation coming in from your sales data, uh, and that's that's usually the time when we start getting invested into a company. Uh, okay. Th- that's why I call it late, seed plus because it's, it's beyond just being an idea. It's beyond just being sure. a product. We're saying okay, tell us tell us who your first early customers are. Tell us how they how, tell us how they how are they referring uh, other customers. Tell us how they're using your platform, uh, whether it is SaaS, whether it is uh, a direct to consumer platform. A lot of data. Uh, can get validated by looking at the kind of sales you're getting and and the repeat rate uh, from those customers. And um, geographically, these are all India-born companies? So, yeah, I would say out of the 27 we've done from the fund, uh, 26 are domiciled in India. Uh, one is domiciled in uh, in the U.S., but it's primarily an India, India, uh, India business selling to the world. Uh, in terms of... Uh, Sales, however, I would say about 25% of our portfolio sales happen outside the country. Uh, but yeah, most of the companies are based in India. So I, I assume the B2B SaaS strategy is global uh, SaaS companies, born in India or, or operating primarily out of India, but global. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I, I think uh, most of those uh, 25% of the sales and majority of that is probably dominated by companies that are B2B SaaS companies selling to the world. Uh, however, what's been interesting is also on the direct-to-consumer front, we've had a couple of brands that are now getting orders from the US. They're getting orders from Europe. Uh, in fact, one of our uh, edtech platforms called Hopspace, uh, which teaches chess online, is probably the world's uh, number one platform for learning chess online for children. Uh, they derive 80% of their sales overseas. And it's a direct one-is-to-one coaching uh, that they're doing. So uh, we're seeing some early traction in those kind of plays, and it's, it's fairly interesting. Uh, but again, I said, like I said, probably 80% uh, of uh, 
our uh, global sales in the portfolio are coming from the B2B SaaS platforms. Okay. So let's, uh, let's do a few case studies of sure. companies that you have in, in, uh, invested in. And as you were talking about them, talk about how you encountered them, in what stage, and what is it about them that convinced you to write that first check? And I want to start with your pre-Arthur Fund days when you were doing just pure angel investment. What kind of companies were you investing investing in, and and what was the what was that early uh, experience like? And the reason I want to go there is because you know I want to with your uh, commentary, I want to trace a little bit of the journey of the Indian venture capital world as well, and the startup world. Oh, I, that's that's such an interesting question, and I love the way you framed it. Uh, so, let me first tell you that I I went to college to study computer science, and I uh, after my first two semesters realized I wasn't built to write code, so I'm in no ways a techie, uh, and obviously most of the businesses I've invested in they're all tech-enabled startups. Uh, so one thing I've always believed in is that since I don't un understand the technology side, uh, I always uh, seek the seek from the entrepreneur or the founder uh, their brilliance in taking a very complex concept and making it very easy for me to understand. I think that's filter number one for me. Uh, because mm -hmm. if, if a founder cannot explain their business to me within five minutes, right, I believe that usually that founder probably doesn't understand that business himself or herself, right? And that's why I think it's, it's, it's very important for me when I'm looking at any founder, right? What is the ac actual business that you're in, right? And, and I think, uh, for example, when you look at McDonald's, people, many people believe it's a foods business, but it's actually a real estate business, right? And, and so on and so forth, right? Who is the real customer that you're going after? So uh, a very good example for me, um, probably the way we invested in, the, in, a, in, a, uh, in, I think, probably India's first Decacon at the time, Oyo Rooms. Uh, the first round investor in that company. Um, and uh, when I made, met Ritesh, he was 18 years old. He had dropped out of college. And, you know, go back to 2012, dropping out of college in India was was a, a big taboo, right? Parents were not okay yeah. with their children dropping out. It, things have changed 10 years later. But at the time, dropping out of college so you could start a business was just never heard of. Uh, however, he, what he was what he was really trying to build was, you know, he was saying that listen, there's this platform called Airbnb. It's doing extremely well in India and overseas. Uh, so what? But what's happening is that when you're when somebody who's coming from a business background is a salesperson who needs to frequently travel, uh, and he wants a standardized experience across India, right? It's a very difficult experience to find. Right. So in, in what I mean by that, a two, a two star hotel, like what you would have like an Econo Lodge in the US or a Motel 6, that experience in India is 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 broken. Right. Because what what constitutes maybe a two star property in uh, in Bombay would look like very different from a two star property in Delhi and very different from a two star property in Calcutta or very different from a two star property in Bangalore. So what mm -hmm. you want to do initially was to take the home homestay experience and standardize that for corporates across India, right? And uh, he was very successful in doing that for the first six months and then found a bigger niche, which was to actually go after the two-star hotel space and start standardizing, you know, independent, independently run hotels by branding them as OYO rooms and, and effectively coming up with a very simple thesis saying, you know what, I'm only going to provide uh, you with a clean room with free breakfast and free Wi-Fi. 
and those are the three premises that i promise everything else is a plus plus and you know mm-hmm. i coming from a background and, and this is where i think uh, when you become a venture capitalist or or even when you become a founder you realize the value of experience right i uh, because i used to be on the road uh, you know probably 25 days out of the month i've lived in a lot of econ lodges i've lived in a lot of motel sixes right i've lived a lot of days in and comfort inns and blockintas across the length and breadth of the us so i understand yeah. the value and the kind of effort it took to standardize that experience across the board and why yeah. that really matters to corporates and i and and i believe when we were uh, looking when i was looking at the deal i could understand what he was doing because have you know much of my staff at the time was having tough experiences especially the females right where they would go to delhi and 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 you know we would get them a business hotel which was supposed to be business hotel but it would be right next to a fairy shady area right there was fairy shady activities going on in the hotel there was no standardization uh, but the same hotel or similar hotel in 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 bangalore uh, and and at the same similar price point would be a fantastic hotel so it's a very difficult mm-hmm. thing for an, an administrative team to know that you know you're going to get a standardized experience across yeah. india oyo did that Right. Oyo did that, and it solved a massive need. It took off, uh, not just in India, it took off globally. Right, it, it went on to become pretty big in China, in Japan, and um, you know we saw almost a 300x multiple on that deal in less than four years, uh, simply because he solved such a huge market need with a very simple premise, uh, and you know focused on being tech enabled versus tech first. And today, you know uh, what you see. Uh, I mean, at least our, our experience with Oyo has been that it was it's a top performing investment until now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the concept and the idea resonated with you really well because of your experience. Is there something uh, in the founder that that speaks to you? Of course, you know this sounds like it was a deal at a concept stage deal in two thousand twelve. This is not what you're doing now. It's yeah. now it's it's, it's know, a very different eco- ecosystem. Very different ecosystem, right? Uh, yeah. So one of the things that we also found in found in this in in ritesh was uh he's tough as nails you know he's he's uh, very driven very focused and at the age of 18 he he had such confidence sitting in front of 15 16 angel investors uh, all, all seasoned professionals by, you know and and business owners themselves the way he carried himself the way he was willing to negotiate right and 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 really his focus wasn't valuation when he came to us his focus was i need this money because i need to get from point a to point b and the only way to do that is i need this capital right and i think that showed a lot of maturity very early and if you look at the kind of rounds he raised and the kind of investors he stitched together you know he 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 had light speed uh, it right up right that invested right after us then there was sequoia then there was gcp there was softbank and a host of other investors that keep kept coming and he was able to keep stitching these rounds together but also keep all his investors happy convinced and backing him all the way through and for somebody who had not been to college uh, even today ritesh would be what 28 years old uh, you know in the last 10 years a, 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 a guy with uh, that little experience right in in and being able to manage such a complex number of transactions and investors you know hats off to him now what changed today i would say is that we're no longer investing in concept stage companies right we get because the, the ecosystem in india has matured right there now yeah. second time and third time founders coming up uh, there are more profession the average age of the indian founder has also increased uh, yeah. because the, you know pe- people people that are even at 
vice president or or later roles or higher roles in their companies are willing to quit because they're bit by the entrepreneurial bug that did not happen 10 years ago that's happening now and that i think that's why you're seeing a much more different kind of an approach towards investing than what we were doing 10 years earlier so let me um lay out for our audience a little bit of the evolution of the indian industry which is actually not very different although it's coming later in the cycle than what we have seen in the us is a a stratification of the different stages of investment in the beginning the period that you're talking about 2010 to 12 13 even 14 i would say it was basically one small set of investors who were doing everything but today there are you know angel investors doing pre-seed seed and you know micro vcs doing pre-seed seed post seed pre-series a and then the larger vcs the more traditional vcs are doing series a onwards so there is a whole class of both angel investors as well as small vc funds that have evolved who have chosen what stage they want to play in and how much risk they want to take and none of that infrastructure existed until maybe a few years ago it started existing and now it is actually fairly mature in that you do see more more positioned funds on specific types of investments So today you are positioning Arsa in a much later stage not late stage is later stage of the early stage development so it's a new stage on yeah so let's talk about Arsa you have made 27 investments so let's talk about some of the Arsa case studies so from the fund i would uh, you know let me take you uh, maybe through the case study for hmm. you know we could look at hop space right so so all 27 deals we've done at artha venture fund are all deals referred to us that's an additional filter i've been able to add over the last 3 to 4 years uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, you know we're getting so much deal flow these days that it's 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 very difficult for my team to keep up even with the best erps and and systems that we're using there's just too much deal flow coming away so when we added a filter which said every every uh, investment we do or that comes into us we only only take a look at the deck if it is referred by somebody in our network either a founder or a co-investor uh, that that refers the deal to us so hopspace came to me through one of the ic members uh, you know a uh, very interesting deal they were initially pre pandemic uh, they were looking at building in india we've got this uh, these uh, class uh, you know class led gyms called cult they become very popular they were almost at a unicorn valuation and then got acquired by india's largest conglomerate called tatas uh, and now mm-hmm. now the their ceo is, is heading the tata digital platform uh, across across india uh, so what what uh, priya and her team were trying to do priya harsh and bhaskar were were that they were trying to build a uh, cult but for kids so they're thinking okay can we put all classes under one roof Uh, and the parent doesn't have to go from place to place to be able to ferry we are losing part of your uh, we're losing part of your uh, audio and not sure what's happening now? yeah so what what uh, where, where where did i get cut off do i need should i restart you were talking about uh, hub space hub space yeah so like i said this deal was referred to me to us by an, our investment committee member ramakant 
uh, who's now running, a, uh, who's now the founder of a unicorn called LiveSpace, based out of India. Uh, what the company initially did was they're trying to build uh, a, a all classes for children under one roof, right? And so the parent would not have to go ferry a child from different classes, like from a chess class to a dance class or, or something like that, because you know they can all be in different places. And India has a huge traffic problem. So what they would they would do is they, they would go to a go to a school say after you're done at 4 p.m. why don't we use your facilities and we'll create oh. all classes for you under one roof and a parent can test out different classes with their child and then decide to sign up for one for a longer duration right that was what they wanted to do initially they they had a number of schools that were signed up and then the pandemic hit us in March of 2020. Uh, the business went through a tremendous uh, you know change they they had to go quickly uh, think about going from offline to online classes. Right. They tried doing the online marketplace model. Um, we, I thought the idea was very interesting because, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends who have children and I see how they have to ferry their children from place to place. And it's, you know, in India, sometimes going 10 kilometers can take an hour. Uh, so yeah. that, that definitely was a pain point to solve. And, you know, also parents want their children to be exposed to a number of activities before they decide mm -hmm. what they really want to take up. So this was really solving a huge market need. Uh, Priya, and her Priya and her team were very, very motivated. Uh, we led about a $250,000 seed round uh, into them. And during the pandemic, you know, after the entire business got wiped out, we had several conversations on the pivots they had to do. They decided to go for an online marketplace. Uh, for the first seven, eight months in India, if you, you know, this, there was a bunch of educational platforms that took off. So the cost, the customer acquisition cost just kept skyrocketing. It got to a point where there was, there was no possibility that the kind of CAC that Hopspace was paying was going to get uh, covered by the LTV of that customer, right? And customers were also shopping around because every platform was willing to burn capital uh, to get a mm -hmm. customer. But one of the things we do with our founders, and, and this is a, a very common trait you'll find through Artha companies, is we speak to them and track their uh, numbers on a weekly basis, right? So one of the numbers that we were tracking, and the tracking is not for us, but it's more for the founder to realize, you know, what's happening in the business, right? One of the things they realized was they were, they were never going to make money. They would burn through this entire $250,000 if they did not pivot into something that was more sustainable. And through this data that they were collecting, they realized, you know, Chess was a game where they actually had a very strong LTV CAC ratio. Well, everywhere else they were below one, you know, the LTV CAC here was three to four X. And that's when they pivoted, you know, with our, you know, they, obviously they needed assurance that, you know, would Artha and other investors back it. And we said, listen, you focus on chess, you become number one in chess, you really own that category, we'll write a follow-on check into you. Uh, and I, I think that motivation also helped them to pivot to chess as a full-time activity. Today they are, you know, doing almost half million dollars a month in uh, revenue, and they're growing their platform about 20% month on month, simply because they've become the the de facto platform for chess, uh, with 80% mm -hmm. of the revenues coming from UK and US. What what I believe um, really helped the company was that because they were tracking the numbers so minutely, they were they were really and they were really trying to understand how can we create a, a growing business that is also sustainable. Uh, they were able to, uh, you know. Uh, get into one category that we just did their series around about six months ago and they're now valued at a 25 million dollar valuation so companies done very well and we're very happy for the future prospect anirudh uh, this example that you gave of a b2c venture out of india that is doing global business 
How uh, common is that in your across your portfolio? Um, I would say probably now probably one out of five businesses is, is uh, which is on the B2C side is getting uh, is either looking overseas or also getting inbound interest from overseas locations. Uh, and, and I think a lot of, primarily in ed tech or is there a category uh, trend in there? I have seen it in Ayurvedic companies where investors in an online astrology platform uh, a lot. And I think what's really helping is that the Indian diaspora right across the world, you know, Indians are spread across the world where, you know, in all countries of Europe, we, uh, you know, we're all across Southeast Asia, obviously US, we, we, we uh, do very well as a, a minority. I think that uh, has really helped many of these platforms scale overseas. Uh, because when, you, for example, if you're looking at hop space, right, the Indian parents are very comfortable because most of the most of the tutors are Indian. Uh, when you look yeah. at Insta Astro, right? astrology is a big, big part of the of the life of an Indian, uh, and and normally astrologers are very difficult to find. They're very difficult to you know, to uh, to book times with, uh, and this is here's a here comes a platform that allows you to book it as you would book you know somebody uh, for a haircut, right? just sim as simple as that, and 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 I think that those kind of things have really helped uh, build. Their offline, their offline presence, or sorry, their, the overseas presence for B two C businesses, and now that the Indians over there are using it, and, and they're usually very influential people in their in their uh, you know neck of the world. There's also South Asians using it, and then it's it's also percolating down to you know uh, the the common pop the the ethnic population uh, also using these kind of platforms. Oh. And what um, what are some of your experiences in B two B SaaS? Uh, so our leading investment in B2B SaaS today is a company called Exotel. Exotel is a, is a cloud telephony provider. Uh, they basically, you could say that they are the Twilio of India. Uh, so they, this is a company where we are a seed investor since 2012. Uh, they took seven years. So before I get there, let me tell you that this also was a was a company I chose simply because there was a personal pain point. Uh, you know, setting up a cloud, uh, setting up an EPBX ecosystem in India was, in 2012 was very complicated and very expensive in India at the time. Um, <clears throat> and Exotel basically would provide you a virtual number and and create the logic flow for your uh, communication strategy in less than in less than a day, right? Just plug and play, uh, and that was a game changer, especially for early stage startups that did not have the bandwidth, the time and the uh, money to be able to set up physical phone infrastructures, right? And so uh, this was the first company that allowed you to allowed you to receive phone calls from a borderline onto your cell phone directly. Okay. And, and they were, it would record the call and, and, and also started add, adding logic on top. Uh, this company uh, also reminded me of a, of the cloud telephony provider I was using when I was an entrepreneur in the US. And so it was a very quick understanding of what the company could do. Uh, and I got closely associated with the entrepreneur, helped you know in many ways to also uh, pitch this to other startups, especially the startup that we were investing. We always pitched their product as the product for the cloud telephony. Uh, mm -hmm. Took seven years to raise a follow-on round. Right. The, what was brilliant about the business was that they were solving such a huge market need on the B2B SaaS side. Uh, they did not need copious amounts of capital to run operations. You know, they only raised, I think at the time it was something like $300,000, right? And they did not raise any money for seven years after that. 
Mm-hmm. They raised the next round, stayed at a twenty-five million dollar valuation in two thousand nineteen, and now they are valued somewhere close to three hundred fifty million dollars. But what's very exciting is 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 the founder, even at this valuation, at this Series D valuation, owns, I think, close to forty-five, fifty percent of the company, uh, because they, they literally what he's been able to do and is that he's able to he's been able to grow. By using customer capital versus venture capital, right? So he's been able to save dilution. He's built a very sustainable, very profitable business. They are almost a hundred million ARR company today, uh, and a market leader. Everybody knows who Exitel is in India, and they've then grown that business and taken it to Southeast Asia, right? And they 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 provide their cloud delivery services in 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 uh, in Indonesia, and you know, providing it in the UAE and so on and so forth, right? uh very very interesting business i mean uh, uh, definitely our our uh, you know our bellwether if you would call that in the b2b saas side and we we always compare other b2b businesses and how to scale that with the way you know exotel has scaled over the last uh, decade uh, in our portfolio i have a number of questions based on what you said how much are you seeing a uh, penetration of indian companies especially the b2b saas companies into southeast asia I mean, indonesia is a very big market or is that a is that turning out to be a big market for they actually not b2 just not just b2b b2b and b2c in indonesia is a very big consumer market too definitely i i think and and probably more saas gets there before i think b2c gets there uh, so uh, and and i and i also believe you know the way india is structured right uh, if you take a 30 30 minute flight in india uh, by the time you land you 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 will see a change in the way people dress in the way people talk in the business culture you will see you will see a massive difference on a every 30 minute flight right so which means that when you're building a b2b saas platform for india you're not building it for one country you're building it actually for 30 odd countries right and then because even the way we write changes from state to state to state right we don't write with the same uh, the common language of those states is not even similar between what happens in punjab and what the way we write maybe in tamil nadu uh, but when a platform like that scales across india it gets very very robust because it has to it has to take on you know multiple uh, it it has to be dynamic enough to cater to the local audience and also the operator that is managing the software so it becomes very very robust scaling across india however india continues to be a very very price conscious market so india is not usually the place where you see, where you come to have massive profits you get massive scale but you may not get massive profits however when you de- develop a robust business with a low cost base because you are looking at india as your market when you go go overseas you know and i've seen this both scaling businesses scaling in africa the african continent or southeast asia here are two parts of the world you know probably holding somewhere close to 2 billion plus people that are willing to pay much higher amounts on a arpu basis than what you would be charging in india in some cases i've seen willing there's willingness to pay four times more than what what being paid in india but your cost base continues to be in india so therefore it's very very profitable Yeah. for a business to scale in india get robust in india and then go overseas and sell to those markets because they'll still be undercutting the competition out there but be massively profitable because their cost base was learned and built in india so those i mean that's the that's the reason why a lot of these platforms are moving or are looking at southeast asia they are looking at africa they are looking at europe uh, 
you know, because their cost-based structures are set and they 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 uh, they see massive, uh, you know, uh, increase on a revenue per per unit basis just uh, by being overseas. Well, you know, the India Silicon Valley tie has been very very strong for a long time and has strengthened over the years. So we do see a lot of the you know, companies starting in India and then setting up a headquarter in San Francisco and, or the Bay Area and then going after the U.S. market. But I, I'm actually very interested in what you're saying in what's happening with Indian companies selling into Africa, Indian companies selling into Southeast Asia, because they are underserved markets. The profit level is not going to be as much as the U.S., but the U.S. market is also very competitive, whereas those markets are actually virgin markets where their competition is much lower, you know, the customer acquisition cost is lower, Facebook advertising, Google advertising is, is much more reasonably priced. So it makes a lot of sense for a lot of Indian startups to go into those markets. And I think you're starting, you're saying that they, they is starting to happen more. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think uh, all the points you made, they're so valid. I also think there's a much stronger cultural connect with with the African subcontinent, you know, Indians have been there for several generations now. Um, and mm -hmm. I think also because we're a very strong English speaking population, we, there is a much better, you know, connection with, with those markets. Also, it helps that we are probably yeah. much, much closer to them in terms of in terms of time zone, right? You're talking between Silicon Valley and Singapore, the time zones can be fairly, uh, fairly wide. Um, yeah. So I think all of those things help help uh, the India cause. Also, you know, if you think about it, dollar has rallied against global currency. So if you're if you're billing in dollars and that to US dollars, right? Usually as the currency depreciates, the cost uh, for for many of these companies in, in these areas keeps on increasing. Right. And when you're when you're looking at an India cost base, because as we depreciate our revenues go up, you know, we can probably maintain the same price uh, or even lower it as as and be more competitive uh, because uh, you know, we come from a lower, uh, from a market that is not dollar-based, it's rupee-based. Yeah. Um, the other question I have is about the rest of India, right? So we know that Bangalore has developed very well. We know NCR, Delhi NCR has developed very well. Mumbai, Pune, Hyderabad, Chennai, all these have developed well. What are you seeing in your deal flow of, on ventures from the rest of India? It's been a very exciting market. So one of the key things in India, uh, and you know, we just completed our first investment in the state of Uttarakhand, right? A company based out of Dehradun that is bringing B2C products that uh, from from its local region. Right? The, the, mm -hmm. the Uttarakhand is known for its pulses and it's, it's uh, yeah, a lot of lot of their herbs have medicinal value as well. Uh, so we just invested in a company there. We we're invested in the largest, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Startup, startup hotel chain in 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 multi-brand chain across across northeast north the northeast called Chai Break. Uh, so we are very very active in that ecosystem. I, I think the best values obviously come where where people aren't looking. So most of our portfolio is, is concentrated across the north. A lot of lot of companies are in Delhi and and, and neighboring markets in the northeast. Uh, we've done uh, a number of investments even in in Bombay and, and surrounding areas, but but Bangalore. Obviously, we have we have investments there, but I would say probably 25% of our portfolio is in Bangalore, which which is, you know, we've always been looking for value where nobody else is seeing it at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So we always want to, you know, always want to keep uh, 
running to where the football is going to be rather than where it is today. Uh, and that's probably and that's helped us, you know, build out a fairly uh, diverse portfolio across the uh, the subcontinent. Last question. You said earlier that the deal flow has exploded, and you have introduced an additional filter of referrals. Now, if you don't use the referral filter, what is the size of the deal flow right now? Oh boy, it'd probably be about a hundred plus deals a week if I don't use that filter. Uh, so, so, and probably about sorry, probably close to two hundred deals a week. Uh, hundred was what we were doing before we brought in the filter. So, so you're uh, yeah. seeing about ten thousand deals a year. Easily. What do? You, how many startups do you think are operating in India right now? Uh, probably close to I think ten, twelve thousand. Probably a little bit more. Okay. All right. Interesting. Very interesting uh, benchmarks. <laughs> you know, we've been in the we've been doing the. And Indian... again, I'm counting as a startup, probably something that has been funded or is bootstrapped to a certain sure. level, right? Where, yeah. So. Yeah. We've been doing the Indian uh, startup ecosystem for a long time now. I've been working on it. Well, I did this first company. Uh, in the Indian startup ecosystem when there was no Indian startup ecosystem, but uh, it started to come together in the late 2000s. Um, so it's, it's been a very, very robust growth of the Indian I, startup I, ecosystem. My team says that I must be corrected uh, right now. So the government of India has its own database of startups. And as per that database, there are 77,000 registered startups in India. Uh, so that's a pretty uh, decently big number across 656 districts of India, 77,000 off by a factor of, uh, you know, five, uh, 83%. So mm-hmm. 77,000. Very cool. Well, Anirudh, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you and catching up on uh, the Indian ecosystem. We will uh, continue the conversation later. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and you know, uh, great conversation. Please keep this show going. 591, 600 around the way. And uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Take care. Bye. Bye.